Talk to my friend Drew. And I'll tell you what, he's a tough guy. A millennial conservative. I've, I've become a big fan of One your writing. Of the great young thinkers of our time. Appreciate his opinion. Conservative Drew Allen. As diehard conservative. I'm to this guy for wisdom. Well, it's a new week. A new week is underway, is upon us, and uh, nothing's changed for, uh, for the Democrats. Their playbook remains exactly the same. They have nothing, uh, you know, but failure. And so we've got the J6 hearings. That's it. That's all the Democrats continue to have. Uh, the, the media, I looked over the weekend, Saturday, Sunday, CNN, MSNBC, NBC, on the front page of all of those rags, those propagandist outfits, they're all sitting there uh, promoting this the, the, the coming forthcoming J6 hearings this week. We just had some. Cassidy Hutchinson, the Hutch, that was a, a bomb rather than a bombshell. It was a dud. But, um, you know, they're, they're using, look, this, these J6 hearings are about two things. Firstly, which goes back to the beginning, they fear Donald Trump. They don't have confidence because they know they cheated. They know they did not beat him fair and square. They know they cannot beat him again. They know he is a politically viable candidate who can destroy them in 2024. So they don't want him to be able to challenge them again. They don't have COVID again. We're not going to do that. They're not going to be able to pull the wool over our eyes and get these unsolicited mail-in ballots, which, by the way, I've never seen anything like this. You know, every day, still, uh, now it's 2022, more than a year, of course, into the Biden administration. We've got state after state, swing state that Biden supposedly won, saying, oops, there was Ill- illegality. The drop boxes were illegal. So, you know, here we are. Here we are being proven right again. And uh, we, we have to deal with this administration that has destroyed our country, which is totally illegitimate, totally illegitimate. And so the J6 hearings are covering up for their illegitimacy. Uh, they're intended to bring about, in their wildest dreams, it's never going to happen, by the way, they, they, they want to indict Donald Trump, right? They want to, to indict him for inciting an insurrection so that he is barred from running for public office in 2024. But secondarily, they're being used to as a human shield of sorts. The, the Democratic Party, is using the J6 committee and those hearings as a human shield, as a human shield to protect themselves against the the midterm elections from being rebuked by the American people. Let me say that again. So the Democrats are using these J6 hearings as a human shield, uh, to prevent them from facing accountability, being held responsible for the attacks they've waged against the American people in the midterm elections. That's it. It's a human shield. Uh, They're using it as a distraction to give the Democrats and the media something to talk about so that they don't have to answer for their failures. That's what this is all about. And, uh, you know, I, I, we talked about the, uh, the, old, the old hutch there, the person nobody had heard of that was a nobody in the Trump administration working for the chief of staff, 
Trump's chief of staff, Mark Meadows. <clears throat> well, the hutch, you know, came up empty. She lied. Uh, she was proven to be a fraud, just like every person the Democrats find and put forward, whether it's Michael Avenatti who goes to jail, whether it's Brett Kavanaugh's accuser, whatever the heck her name is, Christine Blasey Ford, a f- complete fraud. Well, this, this was just more of the same from the Democratic Party playbook. And so because the Hutch was proven to be a fraud, that she wasn't credible, that the American people didn't believe her, well, now they're trying to bolster her credibility. And they're doing this, of course, by bringing somebody else out. Right? It's just one thing after another. So Cassidy Hutchinson, Mark Meadows, uh, whatever, low-level servant, she didn't have any credibility. She lied. She told the story the Democrats wrote for her. And so in order to keep this J6 garbage alive, they drag out some woman named Alyssa Farah. Alyssa Farah. Have you ever heard of Alyssa Farah? Does that name ring a bell? It shouldn't because she's a nobody. This is a uh, Trump staffer, uh, someone who has been completely irrelevant but is desperately desiring to be relevant. So for all, she resigned from the Trump administration in December of 2020. That would be before the January 6th, quote-unquote, insurrection. And she's saying that, oh, she's the one who put Hutchinson in touch with Liz Cheney now, Farah was uh, Pence's press secretary at one point. Then she went on to be uh, the press secretary to the Department of Defense. And then she was the White House communications director for eight months, I think it was. April, I think, of uh, 2019, I, she became the, the White House communications director and then re- you know retired, resigned in um, December of, 29, of uh, 2020. So this would be 2020, I guess. Anyway... April 2020, White House Communications Director resigns eight months later, December of 2020. Now, in her resignation letter uh, back then, she, she, she praised the Trump administration. She had nothing but praise for the Trump administration. Uh, she called uh, her time there the honor of a lifetime. She described herself as deeply proud of the incredible things we were able to accomplish to make our country stronger, safer, and more secure. You know, she talked about all the things they accomplished, destroying the ISIS caliphate, NATO stronger, they brokered historic Middle East peace, you know, basically the Trump talking points. So she parroted the Trump talking points. She was so proud to have served in the Trump administration And you know why she left? She said she left to start her own consulting firm. She wanted to go after the big bucks and enrich herself. And, you know, Trump, uh, you know, wasn't going to be president, ostensibly. And so she wanted to, 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 you know, strike while the iron was hot. And so she's an opportunist. She doesn't have principles. She just wanted to uh, enrich herself with her consulting firm. And so after January 6th, what happened? She does an interview with Politico. They seek her out. She happily complies to bolster her name and her image, to find favoritism in the leftist propagandist media, to build her business as a consultant, to get publicity. 
get her name out there because no one knew who she was. So she rewrote her story. She told Politico that uh, she made the decision to step down in December because she saw, I quote, where this was heading. And I wasn't comfortable being a part of sharing this message to the public that the election results might go a different way. Now, she had um, said that the election results were questionable before. She had questioned uh, the legitimacy. She had talked about the very reasonable uh, concerns of Republicans with the way the elections were being conducted in Georgia, for example. But then, then, because she's an opportunist, she changed her story. Oh, that was suddenly concerning for her. You know, she spoke the Trump talking points while she was in the Trump administration. She leaves, and uh, she's got a business to build. And so, you know, the leftist media, <clears throat> she finds favor favoritism with, as I said, and she goes and tells whatever story they want to hear. Uh, uh, you know, she wrote on, on Twitter, I think, Dear MAGA, I'm one of you. So this Politico reporter in this piece they wrote, after January 6th, uh, the interviewer's last name's Fawcett, said, uh, you worked for Trump and Pence, you've worked for Chief of Staff Mark Meadows earlier in your career, and Congressman Jim Jordan and the House Freedom Caucus. You've been on the front lines of this grassroots conservative energy, and you've watched it shift. Notice the leading question here, by the way. You've watched it shift, haven't you? Have you noticed a change in it over the past few years, Fawcett asks? Well, she went on, um, Farah, and said, uh, well, Wednesday, you know, crossed a line in rhetoric. Telling people an election was stolen is crossing a line because it's just not where the facts land, and we have a duty to be honest with the American public. Now, this is someone who questioned the way the elections were conducted, but then she leaves in December, resigns from the Trump administration after praising it profusely, talking about how wonderful Trump was and the accomplishments they, they, you know, those things they had achieved for the American people. And now all of a sudden she's changed her tune. Now, none of this proves that Trump incited an insurrection. Not an iota of this proves that Trump was guilty. It just keeps the narrative alive. That's the point. They just, they just find people who are willing to say they didn't like Trump, to cash in, on, you know, the benefits that they're going to get in their personal lives, professional lives, if they do so. You know, they bring out these people like Fra now who says they didn't like his messages. They disagreed with Trump. These aren't bombshells. They're just duds. Dud after dud after dud. But anyway, this is all the media is talking about over the weekend. That's all they're going to talk about this week. That's why these hearings are happening. They're not, they're not proving anything. They're just pushing a fabricated narrative to distract from the real issues that are confronting Americans. You know, J6, one day, was nothing. Were you impacted by January 6th? No. No, you weren't. Are you, are you impacted by inflation, though? Gas prices? Are your kids being affected? Were they affected by the lockdowns? Are they impacted by... Uh, I don't know, the indoctrination happening in our schools that you learned about because of the lockdowns when you finally were privy to what was being taught via these Zoom school sessions? No, those are the problems confronting Americans. The illegal immigration problem, for example, 
All of these things are affecting Americans, not January 6th. Nobody cares about January 6th. That is not affecting a single American's life. But the Democrats know this, but they don't want to answer for it. They don't want to be asked about it. They don't want to have to explain themselves to the American people. So instead, they put forward the January 6th hearings to fill the media cycle, to give them something to cover so that they don't have to cover the uncomfortable things that prove that the Democratic Party is a failure and must be voted out of existence, into extinction. Now, uh, Steve Bannon uh, has agreed to testify now before the committee. Now, now there are a couple things about this. Firstly, you know, Steve Bannon wasn't testifying before. Trump had... um, uh, you know, exerted executive privilege, right? Steve Bannon, you know, he 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 was the um, a chief of staff uh, at one time to Donald Trump, President Trump, and so there was our private communications that that he that that are you know are private. You know, this is what presidents do all the time; they exert uh, executive privilege. Their national security issues, things like that, at risk. You know, you can't go and just question and get answers from anybody who had a conversation with Donald Trump. It doesn't work that way. The American public's not privy to, you know, the 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 ongoing discussions about, you know, uh, Navy SEAL missions and so on and so forth. You know, I'm using that as just one example, but 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 we, we've discussed this before. Uh, so I think, you know, so so he's waived executive privilege and given Steve Bannon the go ahead. Uh, Steve Bannon, I told you before, you know, the, the reason they subpoena these people is because they intend to destroy their lives. You have to lawyer up because you're testifying under the oath. The Justice Department, the Democratic Party are looking to destroy anybody who's associated with Trump on these things that have nothing to do with January 6th. <clears throat> I gave you, you know, it's like, you know, if they knew you ate a peanut butter and, jer- peanut butter and jelly sandwich yesterday... Uh, and you forgot about it, and they asked you, did you eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? You say, no, I, I don't think so. I think I had a ham sandwich. Well, I, well, they, they have you on record, on video, and so you know they'll prosecute you for it. That's why you need a lawyer. But lawyers cost money. Steve Bannon's not a rich guy, by the way. He's famous, but he's not rich. Um, that's the truth. These people don't have the resources to defend themselves. So I think that, you know, on the one hand, this is freeing up Steve Bannon to go in there, but I think this is... This is the, the, the death knell for the Democratic Party. The fact that Steve Bannon is coming around and saying, fine, I'll testify. I think they're seeing how weak the J6 committee is. These hearings are how unfavorable they are for the American people that are sick and tired of the Democratic Party spending all their time and energy trying to get Donald Trump and zero time and energy fixing the problems confronting Americans, fixing the border crisis, fixing inflation, fixing gas prices. Instead, I mean, if the Democrats spent, you know, a tenth of their of their time, of the time they spent on these J6 hearings, this witch hunt, actually talking about and trying to fix the American, uh, uh, you know, the problems facing Americans, you know, that would be something. But they're not. They don't care because it's all by design. So I think that Steve Bannon's going in there and he's going to blow it up. He's going to blow it up. I think this is the end. I, I think this is signaling the end of the J6 committee in the hearings. Steve Bannon has enough confidence that these people are such liars and frauds that he's willing to go in there and testify now. He's not afraid of these people. 
He wants to put it put it to an end. Now I don't know how this is going to play out. Um, I mean they, these these can't go on forever. They just can't. I I know the Democrats are going to try to, but the American people don't care about this as an issue. The media is doing their best to prop this up, uh, you know, and put it you know front and center in the American people's minds by putting it in the news, putting it on the front page of their papers. But that's that's detached from reality. And so at some point, this is this is going to have to end. Now, Biden's approval is at 30% now. 30%. Now, Trump's lowest recorded approval was 39% for context. And that was in 2017. That was in the midst of a concerted effort by the media and the Democratic Party to give him, you know, 99.9% negative coverage. The Mueller investigation, Trump-Russia collusion, all those lies, they only got his approval down to 39%. Even after, even after that concerted effort to give Trump only negative coverage. And Biden, think about this, the media's done the opposite for him. The Democratic Party's done the opposite for him. They try and uplift him, hold him up to make excuses for him to run interference for his failures. You know, they, they try to make successes of his failures, whereas they tried to make failures of Trump's successes. And Biden's, Biden's approval is 30%. Nine percentage points lower than Trump's lowest approval in 2017. But at the same point in, in, in Trump's presidency... Um, Trump was 44%. So if you just go on where we are in the presidency of these two men, Trump and Biden, well, Biden's at 30%. Trump at the same time in his presidency was 44%. And the Democrats have a problem here. Now, what what you're going to see, I mean, I, I can predict what you're going to see going into the midterms. I mean, they're going to continue. You, you know, I've seen these stories out there. They're saying, you know, well, gas prices are down, you know, 15 cents, 15 cents. Look, the, you know, the, the American recovery is upon us, right? Ignore the fact that gas prices are still at historical highs. It's kind of like, remember uh, last July 4th, not the most recent one, the one the previous year. They talked about saving, you know, six cents, seven cents or something like that on a hot dog. And they cited that as a <laughs> as some kind of proof that the Biden economy was rip roaring. So they're doing that now. They're going to come out and say, you know, recession's not the worst thing. You know, don't be afraid. Yeah, inflation's horrible. But it, you know, they're they're going to take this, you know, six cents, seven cents of the pump. They're not going to tell you that it's still the highest it's ever been in American history. They're just going to tell you that it's down six percent, right? That's their strategy. That's all they have. Um, but the, the New York Times is actually starting to talk about Biden's age. They're admitting the things that we all know. I'm going to read you a little, ex- little excerpt here. And as Mr. Biden insists he plans to run for a second term, his age has increasingly become an uncomfortable issue for him, his team, and his party. Uh-oh. Just a year and a half into his term, Mr. Biden is already more than a year older than Ronald Reagan was at the end of two terms. If he mounts another campaign in 2024, 
Mr. Biden would be asking the country to elect a leader who would be 86 at the end of his tenure, testing the outer boundaries of age and the presidency. Polls show many Americans consider Mr. Biden too old, and some Democratic strategists do not think he should run again. Um, Biden will not be running for president in 2024. Uh, I'll, I'll bet everything I have on that. Uh, you know, they're, they're just trying to to thread a delicate situation here. And they're not worrying about this. You know, they're, they're, they're kind of leaking this slowly. They're trying to to slowly, I guess, you know, build a case uh, to replace Trump. Not Trump, replace Biden, I mean, in an unprecedented fashion in 2024. They're trying to soften that blow. Um... But until the midterms, they're just going to continue to downplay the severity of the consequences of electing Biden and Democrats. That is actually what we're experiencing. All right, uh, this is Jerron. I'm going to take a short break. I'll be right back. And we're back. This is Jerron, the Millennial Minister of Truth. All right, I, I just want to play some audio real quick of, of Farah. Farah, who's out there trying to slam dunk on Donald Trump, who's saying she's the one. She's the one who was the conduit between the lying Hutch and Liz Cheney, um, who's saying that, you know, well, she she just, you know, January 6th was just too much for her. You know, the rhetoric about the stolen election and that there were, you know, shenanigans going on, that was too much. We just needed to accept the election results, and I could see where it was heading. I knew January 6th was going to happen before even Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats who planned it back in December when I resigned. That's why I resigned. It wasn't because of my consulting firm, because I wanted to cash in. No, 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 it was because I could see where things were going. All right, well, here is her in December. In December of 2020, on Fox News. Listen to Farah. On that point, what is the GOP doing to ensure fair elections in January? Well, good morning, Sandra, and thanks for having me. So the Georgia Republican Party has been taking efforts. They have efforts underway to ensure that we have signature verification, that we have poll watchers. But what we're really trying to convey to voters, and listen, understanding that millions of Americans have concerns about irregularities and fraud that we have seen, that we saw in the 2020 elections, Millions of Americans have concerns about fraud, irregularities that we saw in the 2020 elections. That's Farah, who then later went on to claim with Politico and currently that we just need to accept the results of the 2020 elections. That the rhetoric about a stolen election was just too much and she knew it was going to lead to an insurrection. Well, in December, she didn't feel that way. She was actually putting out the very talking points that she condemns Trump uh, for putting out today. So here we go. Just more uh, more frauds, more people without principles and values. And, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say this woman has a horse's face. I, <clears throat> what? Sorry. I, I said I wouldn't say she has a horse's face. Uh, anyway, she's a beautiful woman, a beautiful woman who's got a, a heart of gold. But anyway, uh, let's move on. Do you, uh, are you ready for your blood to boil? 
Uh, well, that's an everyday occurrence now. I mean, unless you just tune out the media and stick your head in the sand uh, and don't want to live in reality. Uh, I mean, every time you go and put gas in your car, it should make your blood boil. Every time you buy groceries, anytime you pay for anything, your blood should boil because none of this had to be. Uh, it's, a, it's a direct result of the intentional efforts of Democrats in this country. Now, so <clears throat> as we've talked about, you know, Biden has been uh, stealing uh, oil from our strategic reserves, right? Emergence for an emergency situation in America. Well, uh, he's been plundering it just like he's plundering uh, our wallets, uh, just like everything else. So, well, it turns out he sold uh, roughly 1 million barrels of our own emergency reserves to China. Now, it gets worse than the fact that uh, Beijing Biden, China Joe, uh, who is corrupt and who we know at this point, you know, this is a thing that's a reality that we need to face and confront as well. I mean, he is bought, paid for, owned by the communist Chinese. We know this. We have Hunter Biden's laptop. It's been validated. And uh, he used his son as a conduit to enrich himself. Well, Biden um, Biden sold roughly one million uh, barrels of oil from our emergency reserves to a company called Cinepec. This is a Chinese government-owned company whose private equity firm partners uh, are tied to Hunter Biden. Hunter Biden holds a stake in the company. He's a part owner of the firm. Now, remember on the campaign trail, uh, Joe Biden promised that he, his son, you know, they would make sure that they divested their interest in any of these foreign companies because, you know, it's wholly inappropriate for an American politician uh, to be invested in our foreign enemies, taking money from our foreign enemies. So he promised this would this would happen. Now, there's no record of of Hunter Biden divesting uh, from this company. And this is remarkable because China is not oil rich. They have no oil. They have other natural resources, but they have no oil. And so they depend upon Russia and other countries to get their oil. And so we are selling them oil from our reserves. And meanwhile, you know, the Biden administration is proposing continuing. Well, they're not proposing. They're proposing now, but they're going to do it because they can uh, with an executive order or whatever they want to do. Uh, but they're going to to continue to limit drilling uh, offshore in America. So they're continuing to wage a war against our own energy production here at home while they send our emergency reserves to China. Uh, this man needs to be impeached. I mean, I know, I know Alan Dershowitz would uh, disagree with me. We've gotten into it before. The great Alan Dershowitz, such a brilliant constitutional scholar from Harvard University who's 95 years old. You know, <clears throat> I got to say, you know, I, 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 I um, <clears throat> at times I have respect for somebody like Alan Dershowitz, but I, I guess got to be honest, as a 35-year-old man who's trying to save this country, who wants to bring children into this world and give them something to inherit that's better than the country that I had inherited, well, um, Alan Dershowitz is an old uh, fuddy-duddy. That's right, Dersh. You're a fuddy-duddy. You're irrelevant. Uh, your time has come and gone. You need to go quietly uh, into the night. That's what needs to happen with all of these old people in America who are doing more harm 
than good. Because, you know, people are bringing up the word impeachment again for Biden. But, you know, according to Alan Dershowitz, no, you can never impeach anybody. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, they, uh, 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 you know, it was wrong to uh, impeach uh, uh, Donald Trump. Um, yeah, I, I disagree. But, but, but I also disagree with any impeachment efforts against uh, Hunter Biden. I mean, Joe Biden, uh, because, you know, uh, uh, I'm, a, I'm a Harvard constitutional scholar, lawyer, uh, and I'm, uh, I'm still a Democrat. So, I mean, there's a hundred constitutional reasons to impeach Joe Biden at this point, but, you know, Alan Dershowitz will never come around and say it because he just can't find one. That guy's such a disappointment. And, uh, you know, he's got some new podcast or whatever, by the way. He likes attention. Um, I don't know him. I don't know him, but I know his type. I know his type. He's desperate for relevancy. He'll say whatever gets him some attention. He's a panderer. All these people are, by the way, the more I work in the world and realm of politics, I cannot tell you how... Uh, deeply depressing it is to uh, get to know and understand who these people are. Uh, they're very disappointing, very disappointing. They're selfish, and all they care about is attention for themselves. They have these these dreams of grandiosity. They're not selflessly serving their country. They just want to get on the news. They want their names known. They want to hear their own voices. And uh, people like me are rare. I got to say, and that's not really a testament to how great I am. I think that everyone should be like me because I'm doing what I think would be the bare minimum, loving your country and speaking the truth, not looking to ingratiate yourself by Democrats and the media out there. Just do what's right. Do the principled thing. Tell the truth. But anyway, again, to my point, Dershowitz is an old fuddy-duddy. And his time is over. I'm sorry. That's how I feel as a 35-year-old person. Get out of the way. Shut up. You don't have to shut up. You got your First Amendment, right? But, you know, come on, man. You and Nancy Pelosi and all you other 80, 90-year-olds who want to be relevant, enjoy time with your kids, your grandkids, whatever it is. Enjoy life. Because the life you've given me and my generation is not very good. And we're going to be fighting to fix this country, to clean up the mess that your generation of morons destroyed. But, you know, Dershowitz and these people are all living in the past. They're incapable of of confronting reality because they don't live in the current world. They still think it's, uh, you know, United States circa 19, I don't know, 64 or something like that. They act like, you know, the Democratic Party has not been consumed by a bunch of radical lunatics who embrace communism and Marxism. They act like, you know, we're just debating about whether we should increase taxes by, uh, you know, a quarter percentage point or a half percentage point. That's not where we, where we are. We're to fundamentally engage in a war that is going to determine the fate of this country, whether it continues as a free nation that fulfills the vision of the founding fathers, if we are continue, going to continue to climb and reach for the stars— or if we're just going to go back into the swamp from which we crawl. But the Democrats' message is clear. They want us in the swamp. They don't care that this place is destroyed as long as they are running it, as long as they're ruling over a country in ruins. They don't want to be bystanders. They don't want to be, you know, uh, 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 individuals who give up their power to create a, 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 a country that is prosperous, in which people are autonomous and independent and believe in themselves and create opportunities. No, no, no. They want to destroy opportunity. They want to destroy our lives. They want to destroy our country so long as they're the ones in power. That's it. That's it. So I I, I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just, 
I speak my mind. That's how I feel. I'm sick of people like Alan Dershowitz and these others out there who are just trying to get hits. They're trying to say whatever needs to be said to get somebody to watch them for 10 minutes or 20 minutes or 30 minutes. They're trying to be controversial or they're trying to, to you know, I, I, I don't know what it is. I, I, I can't relate to these people because their generation, it's nothing like mine. It's like, you know, I was talking about that World War II veteran, the Marine who said he doesn't recognize the country anymore, that this is not the country that he, you know, grew up in, and that this country's gone down the drain. Well, yeah, it's gone down the drain, and people like Dershowitz and everyone else have uh, overseen that decline. And they continue to act like, you know, nah, things aren't that bad, because he's going to be dead in a few years. I- I'm not wishing that. He's old. He's old. My point is, it's, it's my generation, us, that have to fight. Now, whatever, I'm going to do it. We're going to do it. We're going to get through this together. But screw you guys. Screw you guys, because you didn't have to do this to us. How could, how could you, old people out there, and I don't mean you listening to me, it's, but, but, but I'm just making a point. How could you do this to us? How could you squander our inheritance? Do you not care for your country? For the young people? Obviously not. You know, you oversaw decline, and now I have to sit here and spend the rest of my life trying to rebuild it. I'm going to do it because that's my responsibility as American, but screw you guys. Screw you guys. I resent you. I do. I do. All right, I got another story here for you that's typical. This is quintessential Joe Biden, quintessential Biden administration. So you got a problem in the country, right? So what do you do? Do you fix it or do you go the reverse route? Do you, do you choose the one option that's going to exacerbate it and make it worse? Well, in, the, in this administration, you know the answer, right? Do what you have to do to make it worse. So we have a situation in this country right now in which um, the military, that's all branches of the military, they are um, struggling to recruit new soldiers. It's actually the worst it's ever been in this country. Every branch of the military right now is struggling to make its 2022 recruiting goals. That's what officials in the military have said. So they can't make the recruiting goals in 2022. And in fact, it's so bad that one expert even suggested or, or said that 2022, this year, is the year we question the sustainability of the all-volunteer force. So in other words... It's so bad that maybe we should start to consider conscription. Maybe we should go back to a draft because we can't get people to join the military. Gee, I wonder why people wouldn't want to join the military today. Uh, It's woke. Uh, They're forcing compelling soldiers to shower with transgender counterparts. They are lowering the goals in order to allow more women in. We are not a lethal fighting force anymore. While other countries, our enemies, are building lethal forces, we're indoctrinating and teaching our soldiers about, you know, critical race theory and uh, how they can, you know, uh, get a paintbrush and paint the pride flag for a memory. So, all right, so we've got recruiting issues in the country, right? It's the worst it's ever been. It's so bad that an expert is suggesting that this is not sustainable, having a volunteer force anymore, because no one's volunteering. 
So what does the Biden administration do to resolve this? It's barring roughly 60,000 National Guards and reservists from service if they don't get the COVID vaccine. That's right. They're still pushing this. You know, this has disappeared from the, the media for the most part, right? You don't hear a lot about COVID and the vaccine mandates anymore, but they're alive and well. You know, while the media is talking about the uh, J6 committee in hearings, and we may not be locked down and masked up right now, well, they are going full steam ahead with doing the most damage they can without any immediate attention. You know, you have to have a COVID vaccine to get on a cruise ship still, to travel to certain places in the world. And the military, if you don't get a COVID vaccine, you can't serve. This is happening still in Los Angeles and the firefighter with the firefighters, police officers, publics, you know, people who, who are in, you know, government roles paid by uh, taxpayer dollars. And we know the COVID vaccine does not work. I don't care. I'm sorry. I don't care if you've been vaccinated or not. Dr. Fauci, who's gotten all 62 vaccines and boosters and everything else, just had a very severe case of COVID. He took medication that, you know, the FDA or whatever had previously uh, said, don't don't take, it's dangerous or it's not going to work. I mean, this is ridiculous. Chuck Schumer just announced he had COVID. He probably has 64 booster shots as well. It doesn't work. And you're telling me the most healthy Americans who want to serve in the armed forces cannot serve if they don't have the COVID vaccine? It's absolutely outrageous. They're hollowing out our military, and one of the means in which they're doing it, one of the, the ways they're doing it, is requiring these COVID vaccines. This is still happening right now. This is so outrageous that this is going on. So outrageous. All right, let's let's close out here. I, w- I just want to want to circle back in honor of Jinsaki. Gosh, I miss her in uh, in light of this newest Karine Jean Pierre, who can't answer any question ever. I mean, she's not even entertaining. She's so boring, boring, boring. But you know, like I said, she's going to be fired in no time at all before summer's over. Mark my words. Um, you know, I, I just, I, I wanted to get in and address some of these issues. You know, I've got a busy week ahead and I said, Hey, I want to start the week off, uh, by giving you uh, some updates. I want to start off the week, you know, setting the stage for you as you move forward in the week and, and hear all this onslaught of BS garbage baloney from the media and everything else that's coming at you this week. Uh, and I'll, I'll get to you with, with, with more comprehensive coverage, probably, uh, like Wednesday, Wednesday and Thursday. But, but I wanted to get out ahead of things this week. Um, so, you know, USA, uh, no, this is Business Insider. Here, here's the headline. Five bombshells we hope drop at Tuesday's January 6th committee hearing on extremist groups and the mob on the mall. So some bullet points. Tuesday's hearing is supposedly going to dissect that mob on the mall that Adam Schiff is promising, including its leadership and funding. The role of the Proud Boys, Oath Keepers, other extremist groups is going to be front and center. So look, again, they have nothing on Donald Trump. Now they're just trying to find other things to put out there, to pump up full of steroids, to try and pretend like they have something. So they're trying to tie these extremist groups to Donald Trump. That's that's the goal. So here, here they go. Tuesday's January 6th hearing will focus on that mob on the mall. California Democrat Adam Schiff said last Sunday promising that right-wing extremist groups will be front and center. 
Um, <clears throat> let's see here. Okay, number one. How a group of proud boys led a mob. Now, remember, I, I don't remember the guy's name right now. It's just it's just out of sight, out of mind lately. Ray Epps. Ray Epps. He's the likely FBI uh, informant, the individual employed by the FBI, Ray Epps, the guy who was seen before and during the January 6th insurrection urging protesters to storm the Capitol building. And this guy was dropped from the FBI's uh, most wanted January 6th list mysteriously. This guy's never been questioned. He hasn't been subpoenaed. And he's the only person seen on video with audio calling for an insurrection. And this guy is not even mentioned by the January 6th committee. So much wrong with this, including why Nancy Pelosi, Democrats, did not call in the National Guard, did not bolster the presence at the Capitol of the police force, even though they had been warned of this very thing they're going to try and make a bombshell on Tuesday. So Liz Cheney's telling people that they're going to show how a group of Proud Boys led a mob in the Capitol. Okay, whatever. They won't mention Ray Epps. But, you know, so they're trying to tie this to the Proud Boys. So how are they going to get this tied to Donald Trump? You know, this, this is so funny. All these things are duds, right? But, you know, the business insider, all these people who are never Trumpers, who want to destroy him, who are carrying the water, the Democrats, they keep calling these bombshell dropping. Bombshell dropping has become routine for the committee, especially given the sixth hearing on June 28th when Hutchinson lobbed a virtual evidence fusillade, including that Trump knew some in the mob were armed. They got nothing that's why they have to write stories like this. So anyway, minutes after the first public hearing, Rep. Benny Thompson, he's the head of the committee, I believe, uh, <clears throat> had a decisive answer for CNN's Jake Tapper, who asked, are there going to be witnesses that describe actual conversations between these extremist groups and anyone in Trump's orbit? The committee chair's answer was yes. There will be a number of witnesses that people have not talked to before. They will document a lot of what was going on in the Trump orbit while all this was going on. I recall hearing the word Oathkeeper and hearing the word Proud Boy closer to the planning of the January 6th rally when Mr. Giuliani would be around. The top aide to Trump's chief of staff, Mark Meadows, said in, in her pre-tape, this is Hutchinson they're talking about, the unreliable source. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. What you're going to hear is pure fiction. Um, It's going to make your head explode. They they are going to, you know, the, the real question should be, why did Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats, upon hearing word from the FBI and the intelligence community that Oath Keepers, Proud Boys, whoever these groups are, were going to be there, why didn't they take action? That's the question. It's not about Trump, what he did or didn't do. He didn't do anything. It's about why the Democrats failed to act when they knew this was going to happen. They had been told ahead of time. On Facebook, these groups had been communicating. It wasn't in secret. It was out in the open. And they did did what? Nothing. They put Ray Epps in the audience to encourage people to storm the Capitol. So this is Russia collusion 2.0. They are fabricating this. They're going to, you know, they're going to get into who was financing the mob. 
You know, who is financing Antifa? Who is financing BLM? Who is financing these organizations who are weaponized by the Democratic Party time and time again every time the Democrats don't get their way? These are organized groups that are funded by George Soros, amongst other Democrat Party-affiliated groups. Never question about that money, is there? But anyway, so now they're going to try and... Ra- you know, they're not going to give any answers here. They're just going to raise questions. They're going to they're gonna continue to, to spread fiction out there. They're going to have the media chasing this to do exactly what I said. <laughs> to, 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 to make sure that the media has something to talk about that isn't the Democratic Party's failures. Because this is where they're going. Abortion issue did nothing, nothing worked for them. So they know they're going to get schlacked in the midterms. And so all they have is let's try and make this about Trump. Trump's evil. Let's make sure that we come out and vote because I don't know. I mean, Trump's not up for re-election right now. I mean, none of this makes any this is how desperate the Democrats are. They're going to talk about Oh, how at risk was Mike Pence and Nan- you know none of this has anything to do with Trump's involvement. They just want to create this narrative that this was so scary. You know they're trying to trying to prove that this was an insurrection even though it wasn't. Oh, Nancy, were you scared? Oh my gosh, yes, I was so scared. I was as scared as the driver that was hit by my drunken husband who cheats on me the other week. In Napa Valley. That's how scared I was. I'm so sick and tired of this. Anyway, all right, this is Drew Allen. I'll be back with you later this week. God bless you all. Until next time.